Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham and I get to serve on the team with Converge Northeast. And today I get to share with you one of my dear friends, Derek Jackson. Derek has been a part of Converge Northeast for a number of years, serving in the Metro Boston area, being a part of our regional board of overseers for a number of years. That's actually where I first met him. We served together for a season there prior to my time coming on the staff team. And uh, he is now the lead pastor with his wife, Becca, of a new church, the Earthen Vessel, which is a micro church movement outside of Boston. So we're going to talk about discipleship. We talk about diversity, biblical diversity, which Derek helps lead great conversations in our network. And then also about what does it look like to lead a micro church in this time? So I just want to say a word about Converge Northeast. Maybe you're new here. And what is this Converge thing? We are a network and association of independent churches that co-labor together to start new churches, to strengthen existing churches, and to send kingdom workers near and far. We have a huge heart for the lost, both in our neighborhoods and to the ends of the earth in unreached areas of our planet. And so in the Northeast, which is the six New England states, Eastern New York out to about Syracuse, and all of Metro New York City, including Northern New Jersey, we have 115 congregations that co-labor together And what we really do is we come underneath them and support them and help them fulfill their mission. We do that through relationship. Every pastor needs a friend. It's part of what this podcast is about, the spiritual friendships that are so key. And we provide resources. And resources can be everything uh, from helping answer questions to being available in a time of crisis. If there's transition going on, we're happy to get involved with that. But also just practical resources like healthcare. We actually uh, have a plan that a lot of our churches participate in. And we save hundreds of thousands of dollars for our member churches in some of those logistics. Really what we try to do is free up local church leaders and pastors to advance in their mission and find ways to come together so that we can advance the kingdom of God in the Northeast. We're part of a global movement and a national movement of Converge, uh, which we love. And I'm so grateful to be a part of. If you want to learn more about Converge Northeast, Feel free to shoot me a message. You can do that online. My email is andy at convergenortheast.org, andy at convergenortheast.org. And one of the other ways that Derek, and we'll talk a little bit about this, but biblical diversity is a key value that we share within Converge. And Derek will speak to that a little bit today. But if you want to engage around those conversations, we have a team regionally that helps people. And, and it's it's multifaceted, as you'll hear in the podcast. And we also have some great national leadership and some events that around that. So we'd love to talk to you about that. But let me stop talking. Let me get to the conversation, the meat of this. And let me turn it over to our time with Derek Jackson. Well, today I have the privilege of introducing you to one of my friends, someone I'm really excited to talk to today. I have Derek Jackson. Uh, Dr. Derek Jackson, I should say, and we'll talk about that today, and also a, a recent church planter. So Derek, thank you so much for coming on here. And I will say it's probably an understatement when I would say that 2022 was a pretty eventful year for you. Give us a picture of what you are doing, who you are, and where you're living today. Yeah, we are. Um, 
We are currently in Norwood, Massachusetts, uh, where we landed when we first got here. We felt called of God to Norwood. So we're still there. And uh, because we feel like God has called us to impact this region, the South Shore region, uh, we are also partnering with a church in Brockton. So I'm the interim pastor uh, in Brockton, Massachusetts uh, at, um, at Trinity Baptist Church. And uh, so really excited about what God is doing at Trinity. Um, and as we get our, um, our, our uh, small groups going with our uh, church plant, um, we're seeing things begin to move forward. So we're excited about those things. So we're just kind of crazy with trying to get our daughter graduated from college. She is in her final semester at Calvin University. So, uh, so we're, we've got a lot of irons in the fire here. That is exciting. So you say we. Who is your family? I know you have an amazing wife, Becca. And how yes. long have you guys been married? Uh, we've been married 23 years as That's of awesome. uh, December 18th. Yeah. You got me beat by just a couple of years. And then you mentioned your daughter graduating in college. Is that, uh, what does your family look like? So, yeah, so there, there are four of us, the Jackson Four. Uh, so myself, Becca, uh, Sarah, our oldest daughter, who is at Calvin University, and Ben, uh, who is our, our son, he is uh, working at L.L. Bean, so he, he outfits us. There you go. You have the best boots. <laughs> it's really important. And uh, working at L.L. Bean is probably really providential for somebody who did not grow up in the Northeast. Uh, God has planted you now in Metro West Boston. You planted a church there. But uh, looking at a little bit of your history, you are not from New England originally. And there was a stop in the Midwest, but you actually grew up in the South. So uh what was that like? And how did how'd you come to know Christ? Like, what was the intersection of faith in your story? Yeah. Um, so my dad um, was really into church. Uh, well, he was really into sending us to church. <laughs> That's a difference. <laughs> so, exactly. So as a kid, my dad would wake us, wake us up all the time on Sunday morning and send us to Sunday school. Uh, I met some cool people there. There were some really nice adults there. And there were some really weird people at church as well. So growing up as a kid, I had some really interesting experiences at church. And I think that's what kept me going was some of the people that I was interacting with, especially the adults that I was interacting with, but I also made some friends. So I kept going to church because of them. Um, I got baptized when I was 12 because all the other guys were getting baptized. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know Christ as my savior at the time. I was just a churchgoer. Um, and then when I turned 20 years old, I came to know Christ and was really focused on developing that relationship. Um, a part of my coming to Christ was just um, not knowing what I wanted, not knowing where I was going, just an emptiness in life kind of thing. And I was desperate to do right. Uh, so I was really looking for the power to do the right things. Uh, but what I found was a relationship and it just kind of opened the doors for me to all kinds of possibilities. Um, and one of those possibilities was ministry. Uh, so began to pursue ministry. And after doing some work with a nonprofit organization, uh, who was it was a parachurch organization called uh, the Center for Urban Missions. Uh, and we were serving in Metropolitan Gardens in Birmingham, Alabama. It was at that time the poorest zip code in the United States. Uh, and so I started some high school ministry there and eventually came on staff with uh, a, a church in the city. And uh, after doing work there, I became associated with this group called Sun Life Ministries. Mm. And through Sun Life Ministries, met guys in the Chicagoland area. Uh, and that's how we made the transition up to Chicago. 
uh, or south of Chicago in Dalton, Illinois, uh, because there were some guys that I knew and they hooked me up with a pastor who was looking for a youth guy. Uh, so we went up there and spent about seven years in the Midwest. Uh, so the South and the Midwest were very similar to one another. Uh, and then my wife and I felt the call to move back home. My wife is from Foxborough. Okay. Uh, and so the objective was to move back home. Uh, we both felt the Lord saying, it's time to go home. So I thought that meant the South. <laughs> and, uh, we see and how Beck that turned like, out right there. <laughs> exactly. Beck was like, we already been there. <laughs> uh, so then we began to pray and just seek. And we came and visited a couple of times to try to get a lay of the land and just felt like Norwood was the place where God wanted us to be and just kind of be the hub and expand from there. So for those who might not be from um, New England or Massachusetts, um, talk to me about the area that you live in, like just the the context um, and sort of the, um, especially I'm sure you thought about this a lot as someone who's planted a church, but sort of the um, the opportunities, the challenges, the realities, uh, even the demographics of the communities uh, in that area that you're in. Yeah, uh, one of the reasons that we chose Norwood was because of uh, some of the diversity Uh it was one of the most diverse towns that we could find in that region, uh, in this particular region. We're south of Boston, about 15 miles or so. So that's about an hour's drive. No, <laughs> on a bad day. It depends on the time. I mean, people it, say, it how really far does. are you from Boston? It's like, when are you leaving? You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we, um, so we, we were kind of looking for something that was in proximity to Foxborough but not in Foxborough. We just didn't feel called that far uh, south. We want to be closer to the city. Uh, so as we looked at the, the towns, uh, it was one of the most diverse. Uh, so there's a lot of diversity in Norwood. Uh, I think there's like 30,000 people in Norwood or something like that. Uh, but uh, I, I don't remember this, the specific numbers. But uh, we were looking for diversity. We saw a lot of diversity. Um, but but we didn't see a town where you see that diversity, like in the center of town or or at the events. Um, and, and so we wanted we felt that God was calling us to be a part of this mixing up of the community and getting everyone in together. And, and we didn't know how we would do that or in what way that would happen. But we really felt like the Lord was calling us to that kind of thing. Yeah, and so um, for for people who are, are listening to this for context, I mean, you're, you're a black man from Alabama, and yeah. and uh, your wife is a, a white woman from Foxborough, Massachusetts. Uh, how did you guys meet each other? First of all, like where was the intersection of your stories? Yeah, so um, my wife graduated from Boston College, BC. Yeah. Uh, go Eagles! Um, and uh, she was a part of the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, and her assignment was the Center for Urban Missions in Birmingham, Alabama. So we, she was a volunteer um, and served as one of the volunteers that helped me out with youth and children's ministry um, at the family care center where we served. So we served together for two or three years uh, before she threatened to leave and go back home. So I had to marry her. Uh, it was one of the best ways to keep a volunteer. Uh, so, um, so we began to do ministry together in Birmingham, and, and that's how we came together just through her being assigned to a ministry that I was already participating in. And you, you talked about it. It's, it's really uh, powerful um, how God has woven your stories together. Um, and at the same time, like even your move to a Metro Boston, there was just a heart to engage in a diverse context. And so I think God's uniquely equipped you for that. But what has the journey been like interacting um, 
I mean, people love the word diversity. They don't necessarily always love walking <laughs> through the realities of it. Um, and so from your perspective, um, both personally, uh, yeah. someone from Alabama, uh, yeah. and then also in the church, like what has that been like for you? Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a there's a lot of pain and hurt in the city of Birmingham when yeah. it comes to race. Uh, the the division of, of race. Actually, you can go to Birmingham today and you'll still see some of the demarcations of you know who's over here and who's over there and who can be and who can't be. Uh, so I experienced a lot of that growing up. It was just a part of life hmm. uh, for me in, in the in the area of Birmingham where I lived. Um, however. Even in elementary school, uh, I started attending a school that wasn't uh, that wasn't very diverse initially, uh, and as a result of that, I even had teachers who sort of helped us kind of talk through and deal with, you know, this white boy said this, that black boy said this, and you know, so we had to deal with some of that kind of stuff even as early as fifth grade. Wow! Uh, so I've sort of been having those kinds of conversations since elementary school. Um, and then when I started, when I came to know Christ, the church that I was a part of was the um, was the New City Church, and it was purposefully and intentionally a diverse church. So we had um, black people, white people, Hispanic, Asian. Uh, it was just a, a, a number of different ethnicities and cultures mixed in together. Uh, we had lower income families, upper income families, middle income families. It was just all kinds of diversity older people, younger people, mm. uh, people with disabilities. And I mean, everyone was there. The, the world was there. Um, and so I learned to do ministry in that context. Wow. So I didn't know anything other yep. than operating in that way. So my subculture set me up almost for failure in other areas <laughs> of the world that I that I participated in. You just in assume everybody people, does it like this, right? This is how exactly. it is. <laughs> and so when people are afraid to talk about race, I'm like, why? How can, yeah. <laughs> how can you not? <laughs> Didn't you grow up talking about it? Yeah. Uh, so it's been really weird for me to be in context where people didn't want to talk about differences or how differences trip us up or how differences harm us. Uh, or even the idea of we need to make concessions for the person who is new or the person who doesn't look like us. And, mm. and I've had that experience as, as a person in a predominantly black church. We've had to make concessions for whites and Asian and Hispanic. And in predominantly white communities, there's been concessions made for other ethnicities. And so I'm just accustomed to recognizing that you got to make, you know, you got to make concessions for people. I think you're um, very insightful, though, too. Just to talk about how you know the starting point for a lot is just acknowledging how our stories have shaped our, our perspectives. And um, you know, for me, it was very different. Grew up North Central Massachusetts, and we our kids were born in Southern New Hampshire, which is not yeah. very diverse. And um, <laughs> I, I I've told this story often, but we uh, were working in a, uh, a camping ministry, and, and a number of, uh, one or two of our speakers were were black men who were incredible friends of ours. And some of them got to know our kids. And one day we were in Walmart uh, in this little town in small Southern New Hampshire. And the, our kids were toddlers and they happened to see a, a black man and they assumed that his name was Dwight because that was, the... <laughs> I was like, this is, this is a, a information for me that my kids are not growing up in a very diverse area. Um, and uh, that changed when we moved, we actually not quite to Norwood, but we moved to Westboro, Mass. And that's a very okay, uh, cool. multi-ethnic area, Brazilian, Indian, 
uh, yep. Hispanic. And, you know, so that was a, a big change for them as they grew up in elementary school. But that is just an important starting point is understanding where, you know, where are we starting from um, exactly. and, and how that shapes our experiences as well. And I, I also love um, how, uh, and this, you know, you serve at, with Conversion Northeast and helping churches navigate these conversations with our diversity team. Um, and I love this about you and I love this about those conversations because it, it's not exclusively racial. It's also socioeconomic, generationally, like you said, special needs, which is a, an area that the church really should be focusing on yep. more and more. And um, so that's an, an important thing. So um, when you engage with a, a church that um, might not have had this type of perspective before, what have you learned over your years? I'm sure you've, you probably had some, uh, as you recalibrated the conversation, like if what, now with the experience that you do have, how do you help them take first steps or what are the questions they should be asking? Like at, at the, if they're just saying, we're just getting started with this. Yeah. You know, um, it, it all starts with uh, me, right? <clears throat> In order to make a difference beyond me, I start with me. And so I like to talk with people about who they are um, and how their subculture has impacted how they see the rest of the world. Uh, and so if we can get people to talk about me, so that's your church, your organization, your family, or you personally, if you can begin there and ask yourself some questions, you know, why do you see your neighbor the way you see your neighbor? Uh, where did that come from? Uh, what did you, was there anything that you experienced as a kid? Uh, what things did you hear your parents, your aunties, your uncles? Um, anything you heard on the baseball team, you know, the, the ballet team or whatever, the golf team or whatever. Uh, what are the things you heard that shaped how you perceive the world? Is there room in your perception uh, for another perspective? Um, and that's really the question. Is there room in your in your perspective for a different perspective or another perspective that may or may not be a bad one? It's just different from yours. And so it all begins there. And so for those people, and there are pastors and people who say, no, there is no room. Um, so for them, that's the end of the conversation. Uh, but for those who say, I, I guess, I don't know. Well, those people you can work with because then it's a matter of developing, discovering, learning, and having these kinds of conversations because inevitably there's an experience that you have had that I've never had. And it's like, what? You do what? <laughs> and and I, love, I love thinking in terms of the alphabet. For many people, their life is ABC. Mm. And so when someone yeah. comes in and says LMNOP, they say, wait a minute, what is LMNOP? <laughs> yeah. And where, where does that come in? And, you know, and, and so you have to be willing to say, okay, there are other alphabets. And that doesn't mean they're bad alphabets. They're just alphabets you don't normally use. Mm, that's really insightful. You know, I think, um, especially as in the last few years, there's been heightened awareness uh, generationally about some of these concerns that maybe haven't been at the forefront. You know, I think one thing that's been important for us, to, it's not the whole thing, but I mean, ultimately as followers of Christ, these are issues of discipleship. Um, Correct. Exactly. And um, I mean, that really is the whole thing, right? Does it make disciples, be disciples. Um, yes. And so it's it's been great. I mean, really, when you're engaging those conversations with an individual or a church, it is a discipleship conversation. Um, and I know that that word discipleship is one that is is important to you. In fact, you've done a lot of work in that space, but I want to talk to you personally, like who helped form your perspective of who Christ is and what is it, what it means to be a follower of Christ? Who are the people that helped disciple you, Derek? 
Yeah. So first of all, I got to say Tracy Hips. Uh, Tracy Hips um, is the guy that I learned to do youth ministry with. Um, Tracy Hips. Tracy Hips was influenced by a guy named Dan Spader, who started the whole Sun Life Ministry thing. And there are all these Sun Lifers who are all over the world. But but anyway, uh, so so Tracy Hips uh, was my mentor and still is my mentor today. Wow. Uh, I still reach out to him and check in with him, and he will send me prayers periodically or reach out and call me and say, how you doing? And he's the guy that I can just be honest with about what I'm doing, how I'm doing, or how terrible I'm doing. Uh, uh, so, so, so Tracy Hips, number one, um, and and the and he is the one that I learned that ministry is relationship. Yeah. Uh, that if you really want to do ministry, you got to connect with people relationally. That was very difficult for me because I'm not. I don't consider myself to be very relational. I'm an introvert, and I would much rather just sit in a room and read a book uh, than hang out with a bunch of people. Uh, but, but, but I, but I learned the importance of relationship and how Jesus, um, his whole ministry was about relationship, interacting with human beings, talking with human beings and pointing them toward the father, the most important relationship that there is. Um, so, so that's really where this idea of discipleship took root for me, uh, was learning from him. And then there are so many men and women of God who have impacted my life and spoken into my life, Willardine Creer. Um, my wife helps me <laughs> with, with discipleship, of course. Uh, and, and then there are other, other men and women who, uh, who have come around me and helped me develop and grow. That's, that is exciting. What is, what has changed? I mean, over your years, uh, especially in ministry in terms of your perspective on discipleship. I, I think the thing that's changed most I, I really used to depend on the systems and processes. Mm. If I can get people in a system, if I can get people in a process and I've moved further away from that. And I, I, I recognize the systems and processes as tools, yeah. um, but, but no longer the way that I make disciples, the way I make disciples is through relationship. Um, it's the time that I spend with people. It's the time that they spend with me. It's the time that they watch me succeed, the times that they watch me fail, the times that they watch me deal with other people, uh, the way they see me interacting with my family. Those are the ways in which discipleship is made. Well, and, and as I look at Jesus's life, uh, people watched him interact with his disciples. They watched him pray. They watched him heal. And, and as a result of that, they were drawn to him. So there's something about that relational dynamic uh, that draws, that gives you a credibility um, that a process or a program won't give. Yeah, I think that there, I mean, this is not an analogy that's original to me and it's been applied in a lot of ways, but relational community really is the operating system for discipleship. And we yes. often get so fixated on the apps, you know, yes. oh, the cool new app that came oh, out, yeah. we're going to use this app. Yeah. And apps are great. Like they're, like you said, they're tools and, and everybody's, you know, some people like Android, some people like Apple, you know, it's like, but there has to be an operating system that is the relational side of things. And when we reduce discipleship to a program or an app versus the entire mission of <laughs> the church, like the co-mission that we share in yes. the context, in the operating system of relational community, um, that's, I think, where we miss the point. And uh, I think yes. they're, you know, coming through an era of industrialized thinking, which is not all bad, but it's right. been easy to reduce things the, like to love 
love the system instead of loving the people. Um, right, exactly. Because that's you know. easier to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. How has that been as an introvert? Like, I mean, that's, you know, I think that, I mean, a lot of pastors, frankly, are wired that way. Like people, you know, um, and a lot of people in our churches are wired that way. But sometimes the church is not wired for introverts. Um, so how has it been for you to try to, if, if you, you know, you're understanding that relationship is how it happens, you're wiring where you might be prone towards a book versus a conversation. <laughs> like how, how have you navigated that just personally? Yeah. yeah. Well, the Lord is, the Lord has blessed me with an amazing sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I laugh at myself a lot. Yeah. And I think that's been the saving grace for me. Uh, I try to be honest with people uh, that I'm not good at relationship, uh, but I love to laugh. Um, and and so people extend grace to me um, because they know that I know I'm not good at relationship. And so right off the bat, they're like, hey, you're OK. We're going <laughs> to we'll give you your space. Pastor, can you stay with us a little bit longer? Do you need to go? <laughs> so um, so so that that uh, just being genuine, just being open, just being honest about uh and, and I, do, I, I do enjoy people. Don't, don't get me wrong. I do enjoy people, but I love hearing their stories. I love laughing with people and I love getting deep with people. I'm not good with the, um, you know, with the, the simple conversation. Uh, I'm not good with carrying on the simple conversation. I like to get deep into your life and know how you're doing and what you're doing and, and find ways to help you laugh. Uh, so, so that's been the saving grace, the way God has wired me personally. Well, God's done a lot of work in you because I would have not necessarily, just in the way that I know you, pegged you that way. And I know, <laughs> uh, and I, I'm, I would probably, I'm around the introvert, extrovert line. I get my energy more. If I need to have my mornings by myself. And I've learned over time, you know, as I think as we mature as disciples of Christ, we learn how to, um, you know, leverage the way God's made us. Yes. Um, and then, you know, we work towards relationship. And, and I consider you to be a very relational uh, person, but that's obviously partially the work of Christ in, in your life. So, Amen. <laughs> yeah. And you, you actually took on this topic of discipleship in the life of the church and, and helped me understand exactly what the questions you were grappling with, but this is what you did your doctoral thesis work on, correct? Th that is correct. I was very interested in knowing, it, it seemed to me that uh, this idea of relationship, uh, this idea of discipleship was rooted in relationship. So how does a, a group of churches, you know, uh, thinking of Converge Northeast, we're a group of churches. So how does a group of churches do discipleship? So that was really sort of the, the driving force for me. How do you do relationship with a group of churches to make disciples? And, and, uh, and, and so that just intrigued me. And I wanted to do research on how do you go about doing that? So I came up with a bunch of questions that mean nothing no no <laughs> no, no, no that's not true <laughs> but uh but uh came came up with that question and then began to interview uh just many many people from converge northeast now i wish i could have continued that work because that was really the blessing uh in my research was having these conversations with these individuals and these groups of individuals about how did you come to faith how do you grow your faith what's been beneficial and what's been un what has not been beneficial one of my favorite questions was how has the church helped you uh, mm -hmm. grow in discipleship and how has the church limited your capacity to grow in discipleship and so having people think through those kinds of questions 
And, and I got to tell you, that process impacted me more than it impacted anyone else. But this idea of asking good questions, man, you can change the world if you can ask some good questions. I don't know if I answered your question. No, you did. Well, <laughs> the thing is you threw out a big question, but you didn't give an answer. So you have to tell us a little bit about your what you learned. Uh, what were the commonalities, especially around how the church has helped or limited discipleship? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the ways that people uh, overwhelmingly said that the church limits uh, their capacity to do discipleship is um, the ask. We ask people to do a lot of things. And so they're busy leading this or leading that, and they get lost in the leading and the doing, and they don't really have the time for the personal growth or growing together with someone else. Uh, so that's one of the things that's limited uh, people. Uh, and then the other thing that's, that, that's limited people uh, is, is the, the lack of high level accountability um, and, and I heard this even with pastors, uh, that having these relationships where you could go deep um, were very limited and, uh, and they didn't feel that they had space in their lives for either one of those things. So, so the, those are the two things that were very limiting, uh, going deep in relationship with people and being really busy and not being able to do some of the discipleship stuff. Not only did you just describe a lot of churchgoers, I think you just described a lot of pastors, as you said, too. Yes. Because, I mean, uh, we come, most of us come to ministry with an authentic calling, wanting to see people's lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, you know, we love what we get to do, which sometimes is the reason why we get so trapped by the, the work of the ministry, because it's hard to say no to something that you love when it's God's work, right? We're all yes. Moses needing a Jethro to come in and tell us to stop doing things, right? <laughs> and um, and then at the same time, like you said, uh, and this is part of the heartbeat of what we're doing with this podcast and Evergreen and even forming young leaders is the absolute desert of spiritual friendships that a lot of pastors try to live in. Yes, and it sure. is, uh, to me, it's one of the key markers of long-term success is how much of a priority that a pastor will make for a community. And it's, it's hard because there's a lot competing and there's also a lot of woundedness um, exactly. that can come, uh, you know, in our stories uh, through that. So um, does that resonate with what you found as you had conversations with people? Without question, there was a lot of, I, I know there's a term out called church hurt. And I know mm -hmm. sometimes when we hear terms, we assign things to them. Um, but there is a lot of church hurt out there and there are people struggling through church hurt uh, and not doing any recovery or doing the steps to recovery for some of that pain. Um, you know, some of it's because they don't want to go back to the person that hurt them. But, but a lot of it is that we just don't know how to deal with that hurt or to deal with that pain. And because we tend to be isolationist, <laughs> we, we, there's no one that we can tell our, our real pain to. Uh, so we have a lot of churchgoers who are just hurting and don't want to get hurt again. So they don't expose themselves through leadership or helping somebody else grow because they don't want to get hurt. Mm. Yeah. And like I said, I think that can easily fall into the pastorate, into the ministry. And it's partially, you know, what I do love working with Converge because we, we have a high view of the local church, the independence of the local church. We have that Baptistic heritage. Yes. Uh, but we're also co-laboring in relationship. Like that's the only way that anything gets done in terms of church multiplication, in terms of sending missionaries, in terms of strengthening other churches is it has to be 
in the context of relationship. And so um, that's, you know, it's a joy to be able to be a part of that. But I think, you know, that's obviously also why there's such a need, um, you know, those challenges that you just mentioned. So I want to talk to you a little bit about church planting. Yeah. Um, it, coming out of a pandemic, you, you're like, you know what I need to do right now is plant a church. Um, <laughs> pastoring's not so hard smart. enough for me, so yeah. I just need to do something a little more difficult because that was too easy. Uh, so, um, you and your wife, Becca have launched earthen vessels, community church, and, um, it is a micro church movement is sort of the, is, am I using the right language here to describe that is what correct. you guys yes. are working towards? Yes. Yeah. So what does that, what does that mean? Like, what is your lens and perspective on, um, why, why did you choose micro church as the pathway? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I came to know Christ in, uh, in 1986. Uh, and I was a part of a church, um, Sardis Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. And the pastor, uh, the whole thing was every member is a minister is sort of the mm. whole idea. So once you say yes to Jesus and you say yes to membership at that church, you work. Uh, so you have to find a place. So I found a place to serve. I was helping set up chairs and tables because there was a huge church and uh, lots of trainings and seminars and all that kind of stuff and choir stuff going on. So they had a huge setup team that would set up rooms. And uh, I was a part of a group of about 25 people. And those 25 people were broken down into groups of five. So there were these small groups of people that would gather together, pray together, set up rooms together, and we'd get to know each other. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course there were other people that we had to pull in as well for lots of volunteers. That, that picture is how I continue to develop and grow as a believer in small groups. Um, throughout the rest of my ministry career as a pastor and every church that I've been a part of, small groups were in the center of those. And just seeing the richness of the relationships and seeing people develop and bloom and grow from that um, has always been something that's been really special to me and I've wanted to duplicate as much as I possibly could. So this idea of house churches uh, I knew some guys who started some house churches when I was really young in ministry, and I got to participate in a couple of them, and I thought they were phenomenal, uh, and I loved what they were doing. Um, but I felt like you can't have the house church unless you have the church church, the, the institutional organized church. You got it. Those two have to go together somehow. Uh, and so I, I didn't want to replace the institutional church, um, but I did want to have that small group experience and develop and grow disciples in that small group and, and point people toward some of the some of the institutional churches or large, larger churches and that kind of thing. So, so that was sort of what was in our hearts was we wanted to help people develop and grow. And we felt that the best way to do that were in small groups. Uh, at church, you're looking at the back of somebody else's head and you listen to somebody else talk. Uh, but in a small group, Everybody's got to talk. Everybody has an opportunity. Everybody can say, well, I don't understand that. Let's go back. You know, uh, so I really appreciate that. And also uh, gave us a place to do what I've learned uh, over, the over, the, over the last few years. Asking questions is huge. Uh, so so in, in, in that context, we can ask questions and let people grapple with what they actually think the Bible says. Um, so, so I think that's been the, the biggest thing for me is I really want people to grapple with what the scriptures are communicating to us and how we apply those in our lives as opposed to feeling like, oh, I just got my answer. Let me go do it. 
Um, so, so I think that's why we wanted to stick with a, a micro church model uh, so that we could really engage in the lives of other people. Yeah. One thing I just appreciate about you and Becca um, and hear that story it even puts more weight on this, but uh, right now you're also helping out as an interim at an established church in Converge. And uh, I just love that uh, for sometimes church planners, people come to us and want to plant a church and it's because, well, I'm going to go fix all the things that are wrong with the other, you know, it comes out, it actually comes out of church hurt in some ways. Right. Right. Exactly. And, yeah. um, and re- to see, I mean, this is a principle in our movement, like we're better together we complete yep. each other. We don't compete with each other. There are people yep. that will engage in this missiological context that would not necessarily engage, or at least at this phase in their development and faith, not in other contexts. And so, um, you know, we're very much a mission driven church movement. We're not a model driven church movement. And right. uh, there are, you know, things that a church needs to be to exist. Like you said, there has to be a trellis. Um, but at the same time, having different ways of engaging people is great. So I just want to commend you for, for this ambitious endeavor of planting a church, planting a microchurch, but also doing it in a way that is for the big C church. And um, yes. that's a really exciting thing. Now, we could talk a lot about microchurch model and the logistics of it, but you have a very different set of rhythms, challenges, opportunities in uh, this type of pastoring. Right now you have a foot in both worlds, so that's another challenge you have right now. But yeah. um, what does it look like in terms of I know you're still learning, but what does it look like to pastor a microchurch movement? What are the rhythms? What are the joys? What are the challenges? Yeah, the the, the greatest challenge, of course, is Derek Jackson <laughs> and, uh, and all that he has to learn. Uh, that, that, that's the greatest challenge. Uh, microchurch, uh, there are a lot of guys doing microchurch. So I think my greatest challenge, uh, because I'm such an introvert, I don't spend enough time talking to other guys who are doing it. Um, So I think that's been one of the And I I think that applies to any pastoral role, uh, not spend enough time with other guys who are doing what you're doing. Um, The the other thing is just figuring out, you know, what's going to be our niche for each one of these groups. So we have currently we have two small groups and the objective is to serve in the community. Um, You know, do you, I think right now I'm struggling with, okay, do we choose a niche or do we just say, okay, whatever the community is doing, we jump in and help. It's a chicken and egg Uh, situation, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, so, but right now we have core group, a core group of people in each one of the towns that, that we're, that we're serving right now. And that core group, they love the Lord Jesus and they want to serve other people. And so it's a matter of trying to figure out how do we point them? Because I think once we point them, they're going to take off, you know, <laughs> uh, but uh, but just figuring out how best to situate them so that we can be effective in how we serve in the communities where we are serving. Mm. And and for you, like what is you mentioned again, you brought it for a few times, like wired as an introvert. Like, how do you engage with people? How do people know about your church? Like. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't think I'm, I'm sure you do marketing, but I don't think that's how your church is growing. Like, how do you, how are you engaging people uh, yeah. into this idea? Yeah. So uh, what we did, uh, we, we did a pilot group um, and went through a couple of different books and invited a bunch of folks and folks came out. Um, my wife is an extrovert. She is a social butterfly. She knows hundreds of people. Uh, <laughs> so it's been word of mouth. People talk to people. So when we started these groups, officially kicked them off. Uh, each of the people who said, I want to host a group, 
we said, well, if you host a group, you got to bring the people. Um, and so they reach out to their friends. Uh, and so that's what we've been doing, having them reach out to their friends. And we reach out to our friends. We know a lot of different people. And so we just keep telling people about it. We've had to be another one of the challenges for, for both Becca and I. Uh, we'd love to see this thing jump off and have 30 people in each group and, and be concerned about splitting them up. But right now we, we, we're averaging about six people per group. Sometimes we have 10 people uh, on a night, but, but usually it's around six or seven people each, each week. But we'd love to see that number increase. And we know all these people. So, you know, we've got a list of 150 people, uh, but, but, you know, we only have about, you know, 10% of that showing up. So what, what do we do about that? Uh, that's one of the challenges that, that we're trying to deal with. How do we help people make that transition? Hmm. And your name of your church is Earth and Vessels, which comes yeah. from a verse that I love, you know, yeah. 2 Corinthians 4, 9. Four nine. Uh, we have this treasure in Earth and Vessels to show the surpassing greatnesses of God and not of and ourselves. Not of and yes. it's, yeah. I was going to ask you like where that comes from, but when you shared your story, I think I know where that comes from. I think it comes, <laughs> it really comes back to the start of your ministry and the fact that you were commissioned as a follower of Christ from an early age. Is that, is that kind of full circle here a little bit and sort of where God's drawn you towards? It, it, it is. Uh, it's been, it's been who I am all of my life. Uh, it's, it's sort of throughout the history of my life. I've wanted it to be about God and not about me. Um, and how do I do this thing? where God gets the glory and, and not, not me getting the glory. But I want to do good work. I want to do excellent work. And I want people to be pleased with the work that, that I do. But I want people to know that that's the work of God and not the work of Derek and Becca. Uh, and, and when Becca came on um, in 1994, 95, 19, I think she came in 1995 to Birmingham, uh, she became a part of a ministry where our whole objective was to bring honor and glory to God by equipping and empowering people to become all that they could become. Uh, because we, you know, we had this group of folks from the housing project area and, and we had this uh, other group of people at the church who were middle income and upper income families working over at UAB and managing things over at the major hospital in the city. And, and how do you bring those people together without somebody feeling like they're less than? And so equipping those folks to know that, hey, you're as good as anyone else the Lord loves you as much as he loves anyone else. And the amount of money in your pocket doesn't matter. And so th that whole thing of we're amazing people in the hands of God, but we want to make sure that God gets the glory. Mm -hmm. I, I hope I answered your question. No, you did. Good. That's <laughs> great. Um, I know, again, you have a lot of, a lot of um, things on your plate. So first of all, make, thank you for making time for this conversation. But to kind of wrap up our conversation, what do you do for fun, Derek? Like what is, if you have a free day, you have some an afternoon off what are you, what are you doing to kind of just refresh your soul that's either play or rest or just something that is engaging for you yeah so i i love taking walks uh, uh so we becca and i we will uh if we could get to a national park every day we go to a national park but, <laughs> but we find a place where we can walk we walk trails and uh, we just kind of explore and see what we see in the woods sometimes we go off trail and sort of bushwhack and find our own trails. Uh, but I, I love to do that. And it doesn't matter if there's snow on the ground or raining or sunny, just really doesn't matter when to be out, out, in the, out in the park or out in the woods or something. Uh, so we do that. I like to read. Uh, so that's refreshing to me. I like to read sci-fi novels. 
so uh, so I have <laughs> I have this weird fascination with being out in space and <laughs> in spaceships. So I'll, I'll do that because that separates me. And then finally, I love to drive. I, I don't mind getting in my car and just driving around and seeing what I see. So I'm an explorer and I love to explore. So that's that's what I do to that's what I do for enjoyment. Learn something well, new, explore it, something. It sounds like what you do for fun. It's also what you're doing in ministry. You're a pioneer, you're a trailblazer. Sometimes <laughs> you go off trail and uh, that is an exciting thing. Thanks so much for this conversation. Thanks for um, all the ways that you've invested in the broader work of Converge and Converge Northeast. And I'm excited to see over uh, over time what God is going to do and the, the ways you have to adjust and recalibrate and the lessons yep. you'll learn. And maybe we'll come back and talk in five years and you'll be able to fill me in on all the things you learned through that season. <laughs> so that's good. Amen. So thanks so much, Derek. God bless. Uh, thank you. Grace and peace. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and send us a message. That's an easy way to connect with us. Or you can send me an email directly, Andy at ConvergeNortheast.org. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast ideas you might have, or even suggestions for potential guests in the future. Please remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would, do us the favor, leave us a review. Let us know what you think and help other people discover this resource. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.